Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. I'm Max Reaper, the editor of Royals Review. Later on, we'll have Sean Newkirk and Matthew Lamar on to talk about uh, the Homer Bailey trade this week and also the debut of Bubba Starling. But first, we have a very special guest. Davo is a radio host at Mix 93.3 in Kansas City, and he also hosts a Royals podcast called Clubhouse Conversation, which any uh, diehard Royals fan should definitely check out at club, uh, clubhouseconversation.com. Dave, thanks so much for being on the show today. Hey, man, it's always great to, to talk Royals with you. We don't do it enough. Uh, yeah. We always have a good time talking, so thanks for having me on. I'm a big fan of your work, and, and glad to be here. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, because I, I always appreciate the fans that are really knowledgeable about Royals history, that especially going way back and can remember even the most like obscure players, so I always enjoy our, our conversations about Royals baseball. And I, you know, I did want to talk about the current Royals team uh, in a little bit here, but I want to first talk about your podcast a little bit, because you do get to interact with a lot of uh, Royals, uh, both players in the past and uh, that wore Royals blue, and also some of the players from the future, a lot of prospects down on the farm that right now. Can you tell us a little bit about the podcast and how you find all these these great guests? Yeah, well, it's something I started back in uh, 2014, right before the season, so that was pretty apt timing, as it turned out. Um, but yeah, it, it's, you know, like you said, you hit the nail on the, on the head right there. I mean, you and I share a passion for, for Royals, which shows in your work and it shows in my work, and uh you know, I've got that, you know, 20 years of professional radio experience and uh, a home studio in, you know, my basement where I have, you know, fully phone line and all the software I need to, to do professional um, quality interviews. So I thought, hey, you know, I've got the passion for that. And, um, you know, I'm still, still living the bachelor life. I certainly have the time. So let's, uh, let's, let's you know, kill two birds with one stone and, and kind of start clubhouse conversation. So, you know, yeah, you mentioned it. I mean, current and former players, I tried to do stuff. Um, started off once a week year-round, you know, the things have gotten a little busier in my life, but I still try to have on a, a current or former player every two or three weeks. Um, we just had Holden Caps on this week, a guy down at Wilmington who's probably nearing a promotion in northwest Arkansas. Um, awesome guy, one, one of my favorite recent interviews of, of current guys. But anybody from Alex Gordon and Whit Merrifield and Nicky Lopez and Ryan O'Hearn and Kevin McCarthy and, you know, all several of the, of the guys in the big leagues we've had on and all the way down to, to Burlington, rookie ball, and anywhere in between, you know. Um, I get about 80% of them just from, uh, you know, a guy enjoying talking and, and getting me another one, and then we just kind of, it's like an open referral type program, so it's, it's kind of fun, and it's pretty neat to talk to these guys, uh, especially, um, you know, some of the guys several years before they get to the big leagues. You know, you talk to a Matt Strom before anybody knew who he was, and you talk to uh, Ryan O'Hearn the day after he was picked out of uh, Sam Houston State, and talk to Nicky Lopez two days after he was, signed and Eric Skoglund and it's just cool to you know to get these guys early and follow their progress and kind of introduce them to Royals Nation and then uh, follow when they get up to KC. Yeah I think uh, definitely if you're like someone who wants to get to know these players before they reach the big leagues kind of like being the first person to see like a really cool band before they hit it I definitely yeah. check out the podcast because they're yeah it's really cool you get to talk to some of these guys and I think by the time you talk to them I think they're really eager to talk to anyone because no one you know they're not big stars yet so no one really knows who they are so i think they're really eager to talk uh, about their craft and what they're what they're up to and how their career is progressing so it's i think you end up getting a lot of really good nuggets out of them but I, as a royals as someone who's really into royals history i think i really enjoy the the, the, the interviews you've had with past royals players i think uh one of my favorites is, is joe randa and if i can just beat my own drum for a second here uh the society for american baseball research uh, Saber, which where we cut the term Saber Metrics, uh, they for the 50th anniversary of the Royals, they wanted to put together a, a book on that details the history of the Royals, and I was lucky enough to to write a chapter on Joe Randa in the book, and I ended up using your interview with him as source material. So you are actually cited in that book, 
because uh, it's a very good interview uh, that gets really uh, in depth into like Joe Randa's history. Uh, so I really appreciate that one. Is there is there maybe like a, a favorite interview you have of of, of a, a past player that, that that particularly stands out to you? Man, well, first of all, I hadn't. I was about to pick up that book. It's funny you mentioned that because I've got. I was just making my schedule for the week here. It's Sunday night, and and one of the things I have written down is to buy that book. So that's kind of funny. I had no idea I was mentioned in yeah, that. Yeah, you're in it. Especially, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I hope. I hope. I you know, I don't want to you know to do too big of a spoiler alert for those who haven't read it like me. But I'm hoping there's a little push there to get my boy Randa in the Royals Hall of Fame. Man, I I really believe he should be in the Royals Hall of Fame. It's a different conversation for a different day. But I appreciate uh, the info on that. But yeah, you know, it's you, you know my. My background with interviewing, um, you know, it's, it's like you said, it's very detailed. So a lot of these guys, you know, at the end of the interview will call me back or, or text me and say, man, that's the most detailed interview. Where did you find that stuff? And I've got um, every media guide since Royal started in 69, every yearbook. So I go through and comb through those and baseball reference and all the different, um, the Sabre type stuff, all the different places that are that are online and try to, you know, try to, try to not miss any, leave no stones unturned. So as we go back through history. So I'm glad that that was able to work to your advantage on that. That's the whole point of that. Um, I'd like to someday figure out how the hell to get these things linked to their baseball reference page and, and you know, so people, more people can find them because they're kind of hard to find unless you know about the site. But uh, that's not my forte at this point. But my favorite, some of my favorite interviews, man, you mentioned Randa. Um, man, a guy that I know you and I both have talked about in the past is Ray Palacios, um, who was actually one of the first responders um, on 9-11. He's a hero. Uh, is a fireman out in Rochester, New York, but he played for the Royals back in, I believe it was 89 to 90, maybe 91, off the top of my head, and um, hit a walk-off off Jeff Reardon once, Grand Slam. Um, but he was just a phenomenal interview with, with former players. That's that's one I always tell people to start with. That's not a guy that everyone knows, but if you're going to you know check out one to start with, I, the Randa, uh, the Ray Palacios, just because he ta- you know talks in depth about 9-11 and, and some of the friends that he lost, and not to mention he's hilarious. But you know anybody from Whitey Herzog to Jeff Montgomery to um, you know it, it's always fun when you can get somebody on there who's hesitant to talk. Maybe they didn't have a very good time in Kansas City, but you're able to talk them into doing it and. And typically they end up feeling a lot better. I had Chris Haney on recently that it, I really enjoyed. I don't know. I mean, I could, I could bore you all day, but uh, there are about, I don't know, maybe 125 or 130 of them on there. So I encourage people to check them out and start with uh, maybe the Ray Palacios and the Joe Randa and the Whitey Herzog and, and go from there. Oh, another one of my favorites I should mention was uh, Jason Grimsley actually gave me um, the only interview he's ever given where he talks about the Mitchell Report and the steroids and coming to his front door. Um, you know, the airplane crash in his backyard when he lived in Overland Park. There's a Jason Grimsley interview, and I only got that because Jeff Grotewald is his best friend. They played with the Phillies. They came up together, and Jeff Grotewald, you know, I guess just begged Jason Grimsley on my behalf, which I was really, you know, really touching and really cool. So that's one of my favorites on there as well. Yeah, that's really neat. And, yeah, for, for I think any Royals fan, it's kind of like a walkthrough memory lane because, like, a guy like Ray Palacios, you know, I probably hadn't thought about him in 30 years, but I, he was, when I was a kid, I was actually a really big fan of his. Just I don't know why. I think just I I like the backup catcher uh, that that rarely rarely played, and um, I also remember that he could hold like seven baseballs in his hand or something like that. Like he had some absurd like uh, skill like that. But he seemed like a guy I think that was in his like mouth too. He, he could like put him in his mouth. Oh yeah, also. maybe it was in his mouth. Yeah, but uh, he no, it's was both. It's both. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> you know, I, you know, when you're a ten year old kid, you love stuff like that. So uh, yeah, I kind of like the obscure players like that. But yeah, it's it's like a it's you know it really takes you back and to go that in depth of the players, I think it's pretty neat. So yeah, I think definitely. And then you cover Royals players from like all throughout their, their, their time, you know, the history of the, the franchise. So I think there's something in there for for everyone. But yeah, definitely check out some of those interviews if you get the chance. Uh, let's let's turn a little bit to maybe this year's Royals club a little bit. Uh, I know not a lot of positives from the first half. Um, what, what's kind of your take on the first half of the season? Because I know on your podcast you also talk a little bit about you know what's going on with the current Royals. What's what's kind of your take on why they are so bad? Because you know, I know we didn't expect them to be contenders or anything, but it just seems like the bottom has fallen out and they have just like exceeded any low, you know, in a bad way, exceeded the low expectations anyone had of this franchise. Why Why are they just so god-awful so far this year? It's a great question. I mean, you look at the run differential and Detroit, you know, is you know a couple games away from the Royals or 
essentially the same records, but the Royals have a much better run differential. I mean, that's just a small, small piece of it, obviously. But you look at this Royals lineup, especially it's, it's gotten a bit better since you since you got a Nicky Lopez up here and Martin Maldonado's kind of had a surge recently. So it's not quite the 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 graveyard that six through nine was, you know, the first couple of months. It's still not great in the bottom half of the order. But so some of it, I, I suppose, is the offense. I think losing Salvador Perez was a huge blow, and I do think the Royals should be commended for, for bringing in Martin Maldonado. I think he was, without a doubt, the, the best option at the time. I think we all agreed with that, and he's done a nice job handling the staff, and the, the bat started to come around, and I'm sure we'll probably talk about it later, but I think he can end up being the, the next big trade piece. We'll talk about that in a, in a bit, I'm guessing. But, um, but, you know, I don't know what it is, Max, because before the year, and people can laugh at me. I'm I'm totally fine with it. I thought this team was going to win 76 games, which is pretty stupid now that you look at it, look at how things have turned out. And the the other thing I'll, I'll call myself out for, I'm going to go ahead and just freezing you know freezing cold take myself was I thought that Billy Hamilton was a good signing, and that's been an absolute disaster. Um, as has Chris Owings, as has Jake Diekman for the most part um, over the last couple of months, and and obviously Boxberger on and on. So the majority of the free agent signings didn't turn out. Salvador Perez was a big loss. Um, but this team shouldn't be this bad. You hit the nail on the head. I mean, you've got enough guys at the top half of that order. Um, you know, Whit Merrifield's power-wise having his best season of his career. The stolen bases aren't quite there because I believe his, you know, the legs are probably a bit worn out from, from playing the outfield, so he's not running quite as much. It was interesting to see him get a leadoff double and run like the first pitch out of the All-Star break. It's almost like he got rested up and said, I'm going to steal my bases now <laughs> the second half. But you've got him and, and Mondesi. I almost, you know, I'd like to hear your take on this. With, with Mondesi, it's almost like... He's doing it like it's almost like he's having an historic season, right? Because every day you read on Twitter, he's the first shortstop since 1961 to have this many triples and this many blah blah stolen bases before the break. And so, on one hand, he's having like an historical season. On the other hand, you say to yourself, well, he should be better in a way. You know, the OPS is down below 750, and it seems like there's more power upside there. I think he doesn't swing at the best pitches some of the time and doesn't have the best plate discipline. So, there's something to be said about that. So, he's kind of an interesting case study with this team. I'd like to hear your thoughts on you know as well. But uh, other than that. That, um, you know, you've got Solera going to break Moustakas' record, hitting home runs. Gordon's back to, to fairly vintage Gordon, both offensively and defensively. Um, you know, this team really shouldn't be near as bad. But the pitching, I guess, has been a debacle. I've been very, very disappointed, um, in particular, with Jake Junis. I really thought Jake Junis would take a step forward this year. And I, and I certainly think most people didn't think the bullpen would be good, but I also don't think most people thought the bullpen would be this bad either. I kind of feel like if Junis came up five years ago uh, when the ball wasn't juiced and the home run rates were much lower, I think he probably would be uh, you know, one of those guys that's like a solid number three and he'd look <clears throat> really good and he just he picked the wrong year <laughs> to, to kind of come up. I mean, uh, I think he's just getting pounded with, the, with home runs because uh, he's a, you know, kind of a fly ball guy and if, if um, you know, in this, kind of, in this era, a lot of those fly balls are translating to home runs, so... Uh, I, I feel like he still has a future, but but this is just like one of those years you just kind of have to chalk up to to a juiced ball, I think, and maybe hope that he can make some adjustments for the future. Yeah, as for Mondesi, you know, people forget he's just 23 years old. I think some of the expectations after he had such a hot start you know, to or hot, hot finish, I guess, to last year, people kind of got out over their skis a little bit with him. You know, with the expectations like, well, if we just you know prorate his numbers over a full season, like we'd have an All Star in our hands and uh, you know, I think he still has tremendous potential. Um, and you know, you talk about the speed and the triples and the stolen bases. I mean, I think that's that's fantastic. Of course, we're in an era where where that where speed, it seems like that's less of an asset than it's ever been, just because of the home run rates. Uh, so, but you know, he, obviously he has the power as well. So I yeah, I think he'll grow into it. I think he's still got, you know, as you said, room to grow. He's just 23. I think his play discipline will never be great, but I think he's got some room for improvement a little bit there. Uh, and, you know, baseball has always been kind of a, a game of adjustment. So I think, you know, he got off to that great start last year and uh, pitchers adjust to him a little bit this year. You know, he got to, actually got to off to a good start this year as well. Pitchers adjust to him a little bit. He'll make a counter adjustment. So I think it's all, you know, how can he, um, you know, ultimately his success is probably how can he lay off the breaking stuff off the corner and, and, and find hittable pitches. But, you know, I, he's having a fine season. I think, you know, uh, if, if you want to be encouraged by anything, I guess it's that he hasn't really fallen off and had like a poor season, a poor uh, after uh, having getting off to a good start. So I think that's pretty encouraging. And you talk about, yeah, there's been a lot of really encouraging things about this team, but the, but the pitching has been just so bad. 
And I, I, I appreciate your takes on Twitter because I think you're a much more optimistic person than I am. Uh, and I, I, I think I, sometimes I need that to kind of, kind of the, you know, lift my spirits and also kind of maybe, uh, you know, give me a, a different, a different perspective on things. But with the pitching not really developing this year, do you feel like that's been a, a hiccup in the rebuild movement, or is this something where we just have to kind of wait for the guys in the minor leagues? Because with the guys we have at the big league level, they ain't cutting it. Um, I, I don't think it's it's going to hurt too much. I mean, the, the, like I said, I mean to, to me, I really thought, like you said, Jake Jonas. I thought, and I thought he'd be exactly what you said. I thought he'd be more of a number three. And yes, the ball's juice and and all this other stuff. But um, you know, the command's still not there. You know, he's still young enough where next year is going to be a big year. Oh, we shouldn't wish away this year. We saw the second half of this year. So the second half of this year into next year is going to be very key for him because he's getting to those prime years here pretty soon. And I think to a small degree, Brad Keller early um, was disappointing. The walks were up, the whips up higher than it should be. There's too many guys on base, and if you're not going to be able to to strike guys out and miss those bats consistently, well, he did his last start. But if you're not consistently doing that, obviously you can't be walking people. Um, so to, to me, those two max are really the only two. If you look at this, I mean, even if you look at the bullpen, I mean, because you got Lovelady at AAA for God knows why, but I mean, the majority of guys on this staff, how many of them do we actually think are part of? the 2022, 2023 times where you might, you know, realistically compete. I mean, maybe Junis, maybe Keller. Um, I don't know that there's really anybody in that bullpen that I really think will even be a part of it. So to me, it's actually been a pretty encouraging year um, for the rebuild, just for the fact that the, most of the pitchers, you know, as long as Daniel Lynch can, can, can get and stay healthy, that'll ease my concerns a little bit. But can I, hey, can I tell you uh, one thing that's really bothered me the last couple of days on Twitter? Can I throw out what I'm sure. about people? Oh, only one here? thing's bothering you on Twitter? Because <laughs> yeah. I could go down well, the list. It, I've seen a few different people from different places already saying that Brady Singer is now a relief pitcher because he can't get lefties out and the changeup's not there. And I mean, the, the guy is a top 100 prospect in baseball, you know, maybe top 60, depending on who you ask. The guy is you know, has earned the promotion because he was so dominant. How are we all of a sudden, after, like, him struggling for six weeks, now saying his upside is a, is a closer? Or, like, I mean, like, I just, I, 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 I was mind-blown. There's been a lot of people I really respect that have said that, too. I, I, I just don't see, how are we all of a sudden, after, like, a small sample of a guy who's still young and they shut down mainly last year because of all the innings, we didn't even have that much professional experience coming into this year, you know? What are your thoughts on that? Does that bother you at all? Like, I just, I keep, I, I just want to tell people, whoa, 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 calm down a little bit here. You know, like, how are we already saying, oh, he's probably a reliever? I mean, is that just the Royals' negativity, or what are your thoughts? Well, on I think that? there's always, I, I can't believe it. Yeah, I think there's always kind of a rush to be like the first person to proclaim like something is 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 a bust or <laughs> isn't going to happen, or you know, uh, I still I still remember during the Royals uh, Astros 2015 ALDS game where they made their huge comeback. I kind of like half jokingly said, Oh, they still have a chance. And I got not barrage, but like a couple of really nasty, like, Oh, I can't believe you still think they have a shot. Uh, tweets like this is over. Like some people and like, they weren't like, it was obviously it wasn't impossible for them to come back. Cause I came back and I wish I had saved some of those tweets for like freezing, you know, freezing cold takes. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like there's, there was always like the first person that wants to proclaim it's over. And so I, there's a little bit of that phenomenon on Twitter. You know, some people I think are just giving their opinion and like you know they think he's a reliever and that's that's fine. Some people weren't that high on him as a draft pick in the first pay, in the first place, but you know we'll see with him. I'm not, I'm fairly agnostic on Singer. I think his his stuff's pretty good. I think he's a good bulldog. Uh, obviously his transition to Double A has been a little rough so far, but yeah. like you said, it's really early in his career. He's got a lot of room to improve. I think he's you know he probably has to work on a third pitch a little bit more, but that's what minor league development's for. That is kind of segue into what I, I want to ask you about a little bit is that I'm starting to hear a li- little more increased drumbeat about uh, Cal Eldred. And it seems like the, the, the fact that everyone can kind of really point to the pitching staff this year as the, the source of the problem. And the fact that guys like Brad Keller and Jake Junis have really regressed this year. Uh, do you think that starts to put the heat a little bit on Cal Eldred or... Um, is it is, is or you know is, at least as a scapegoat or is that maybe the wrong place to really focus our emphasis on? No, I absolutely think his seat's probably getting a little warm. I mean, look, you go, you look all up and down the pitching staff again. Who? I mean, how many of these guys, Max, have done have hit their expectation or exceeded it this year in a good way? I mean, some people will be, oh, I knew Willie Peralta would suck, but I'm saying like an actual realistic positive expectations. How many of these guys? 
has hit that expectation or exceeded it. I would say you look up and down the starting rotation, probably the only guy who has got dealt today, and that was Homer Bailey, and he's a veteran. So does Eldred deserve some credit? I, I'm, I'm, you know, I think he does. If we're gonna if we're gonna blame him for for guy shortfalls, he has to get the credit for that, right? So so I think Homer Bailey, if you look at the rotation, has exceeded expectations. But let's look at the rest of the rotation. Jorge Lopez started the year there, disaster. Um, you look at Brad Keller. Um, I would say he has been slightly below what you hoped. I mean, you had Salvador Perez coming up before the year, proclaiming him a legit number one, and and we knew that. Obviously, the the two and a half or whatever it was, two seven nine, whatever it was last year, wasn't going to happen again because he wasn't missing enough bats for that. But I don't think we expected the control to go away. He flew open a lot and had trouble repeating pitches and struggled in the strike zone with command. And you look at Junis, certainly hasn't hit um, his expectations. I mean, you, you go down to the bullpen. I mean, it, it's just been it's been really rough. I think Danny Duffy's been pretty good this year. I think he's probably been right at what you expected. Um, once you look at you know, expectations, realistic expectations for where he's at. So I think Duffy and Bailey are maybe the only two guys that have appeared in the rotation this year. And, you know, we've seen Barlow take a step back, and Hill and McCarthy couldn't at the side of a barn the first couple of weeks of the season. And, um, you know, we know about the rest of the relief staff. So, yeah, I think it's absolutely um, fair to question. I, am I ready to call for his job? No, not till after the year. I, I'd be surprised, though, Max, if he's back next year as the pitching coach. I, I, I have to believe he's not coming back. But what I want to know from you is how much longer is Ned Yost going to be here? Because it seems like we keep reading one more year, two more years, and then I was reading an article in The Athletic, I think yesterday, that he said he wants to win another championship. So what's going on here, Max? How much longer is Ned Yost going to be here for? You know, I've always been one of those people that thought that the Ned Yost retirement talk was way premature because – I mean, it's a pretty good gig to be the manager of a Major League Baseball team. It's a job only one of other 30 people have. And you get to be around the game. You get to be relevant. You get to hang out with your baseball buds. uh, And you get to be the leader of young men. And and I'm sure, look, losing stinks. um, But, you know, know, the expectations aren't really there right now. So he can kind of be a little more looser and work on development. And, you know, the bottom line is not as important right now. And that's probably a pretty good place to be. Now, I think there's a fear of complacency. So, you know, maybe he starts, you know, feeling like he doesn't have any accountability and maybe just takes it easy and puts it on autopilot. I think there's that risk there. But, um, you know, I think Ned Yost generally is a pretty good leader of men, a good organizer in that clubhouse. Like, you know, I think we've heard enough from these guys how much they they uh, appreciate him and their, his belief in them. So I think he's pretty been, been a pretty good steward. I think there's eventually a point where you do want to – hand it over to the next manager, whoever that is. And I feel like the way he's talked is that he doesn't want to leave a, a franchise in shambles to whoever. And I think you, know, you only have to look over to Dale's fame and his experience in Chicago with the Cubs where he was asked to manage during a rebuild. He had two seasons in Chicago where they lost 100 games each season, I believe. And but he was never really given a chance to compete because he, he had young rebuilding, you know, a rebuilding franchise and young players that weren't really quite ready for, the, for you know, to be a competitive team. And so that wasn't really fair to Swain. And I don't think I think that um, Yost doesn't want uh, you know his successor to be left in that same situation. So he wants the you know he wants the team to kind of be, kind of be through the rebuild. Now, does he want to win another championship? That that's kind of interesting. If you if he actually wants to be the guy to you know manage through the rebuild, that'd be you know, I I can see that happening as well. And, and maybe at that point the Royals have to say, look, Ned, we we appreciate your service, but um, you know maybe it's time for someone else to to step in. So. That might be an uncomfortable conversation, but but I I don't know. I think that Ned, Ned's going to last for at least another year or two. I, I I and it wouldn't surprise me if he stays on for a while because I think he really enjoys that gig and um and like I said, he doesn't want to hand it over to to someone and and put them in a bad situation. But uh, you know, we'll see. Um, you know what what really does matter, I guess, for now is rebuilding this franchise though. And one way the Royals can do that is through the trade deadline. Uh, through trades, and we're going to come up against the, the trade deadline here in a couple of weeks. Royals already made one trade, as you mentioned, Homer Bailey, traded to the Oakland Athletics today for a uh, middle infielder. Um, oh, gosh, I already forgot his name now. Kevin, Kevin Merrill. Merrill, yeah, Kevin Merrill. Or Merrill, sorry. <laughs> uh, we're both wrong. What's kind of your Insta reaction to the Merrill trade, the Homer Bailey, Kevin Merrill trade? Uh, and what do you think they're going to do at the deadline? Do you think it's going to be an active deadline or kind of a quiet one in Kansas City? So that's Kevin Merrill, not to be confused with Luke Farrell. So there we go. <laughs> but, but I, 
was combining two names there. Um, I do think it's going to be a very active trade deadline. Let's start with uh, with Merrill. Um, you know, again, you mentioned it earlier. You know, maybe I'm a bit too positive sometimes. Maybe I like the Kool Aid a bit too mu- too much sometimes. But I mean, I don't see how you can't like the trade today. You, you give up a guy that you were paying nothing to that nobody wanted. Who, yeah, it was fine for you, but I mean, what? Homer Bailey, getting rid of Homer Bailey maybe cost you two or three wins, maybe the second half of the year. But, you know, the people that are criticizing it are the same ones that want the number one pick, so they ought to be happy about that. But I, I think it's a good move. You got a guy that was, was a 33, 33rd pick, you know, a, a first round supplemental guy that that uh, just two years ago, I mean, this is a guy that two years ago the Royals were very heavy on and, and on. Um, they love his athleticism, you know, being close to an 80 runner, and, and the hit hasn't been there since he's been a pro. But, again, it's kind of the same thing with Brady Singer. I believe this guy was banged up a bit. Has he been disappointing in some ways? Yes, he's been more disappointing than Brady Singer. So, you know, Brady Singer started off in high A ball much more impressively than Merrill did, so I don't mean to there. But, you know, they're both a double A. They both struggled at double A. But, you know, to get somebody with that kind of tool – um, for a couple of months of Homer Bailey when you're not going anywhere anyways. I mean, is it going to hurt a little bit this year? A little bit, because Bailey was giving you five or six innings of three, four-run ball and keeping you in most of the game, most of the games he went out there. But to get somebody like that is what this is all about this second half, is to replenish the farm system. I thought Dayton did a great job, you know, bringing over a Blake Perkins and a Johan Morrell, um, you know, in the past, you know, for trading Kelvin Herrera or whoever. So I do think it's going to be an active uh, deadline. I, I mentioned earlier I think Martin Maldonado after Bailey is perhaps the most attractive piece. I know I've, I've read some, some you know, some people have been hot to trot a bit on Deacon, and I think, you know, six weeks ago or five weeks ago, Deacon looked like he was going to be quite the coop and, and quite the piece for the Royals. Of course, he's struggled since then, but maybe he'll he'll finish strong here and they'll get something good. They've got a couple weeks, as you said, but I think Deacon's going. I think, yeah, I think somebody loses their, their front-line catcher, but let's, let's be honest. I mean, you... Last year, not to knock on Drew Butera, but you saw Drew Butera playing in the playoffs. And is he was he good enough at that point? Probably not. Is, is, you know, was he optimal at that point? I think Martin Maldonado is a, a clear upgrade. The Royals were able to move Butera last year. I think there's no, and they got Jerry Vasto, who of course was here for five or six weeks, and who knows where he's at this year. But I certainly think Maldonado can bring back a lot more than that. Is my point. I, I think he's uh, maybe the best trade piece they have left. If somebody loses their catcher in the next couple of weeks. Even if not, people are always looking for upgrades. So I think I think Maldonado's going to get traded. I think Diekman's going to get traded. I think there's a decent chance Peralta gets dealt. We'll see about that, though. Um, and, and then uh, Billy Hamilton, I believe, will get something. Uh, not a lot, but I think he'll he'll get you something. You know, a rookie ball piece of some sort or a Dominican-type, you know, academy-type player, some lottery ticket. I, I think there will be, I think, enough teams, especially an NL team, um, with a double switch and his defense and, and ability to to pinch run and get down a bunt and, and slash the ball, I, I think Billy Hamilton is is a, a pretty attractive trade piece. So I would say those are probably the main guys. I don't think I'm forgetting anybody. It, it seems like we'll have a younger team once the, the the Royals kind of you know trade or or maybe move on and just release some of these players. Is there maybe a player you think you know needs to have a strong second half to finish out? We saw the the Royals you know finish pretty strong last year. Uh, you know, Mondesi certainly had a great second half. Uh, is there a player maybe you're keeping your eye on in the second half? Maybe even a guy that's not even on the roster right now. Absolutely. Ryan O'Hearn is that guy that we need to see back up here. And why, Max, I, I'm going to try to stay calm right now. Why in the hell is Lucas Duda on this team? Why was he ever on this team? You know, we, we talked back to why this team's so bad. You asked me that earlier. And another, another thing we didn't talk about was the horrible roster construction. Yeah. You know, Terrence Gore and Lucas Duda and Frank Schwindel and Ryan O'Hearn. I know they are weren't you know weren't on the roster for that long all at the same time, but you just go back and you bring Lovelady up, so it looks like you're not manipulating service time, and he's been so so, and you send him down and keep bringing everybody but him back, guys that have been doing worse at AAA. It's just it's very it's been a very odd roster construction. I thought it was a little you know it was a good time I guess to bring up Starling as far as selling tickets and creating a buzz. Maybe that was their plan all along. I, th- I thought he could have come out maybe a little sooner. Although if you look at it. I guess he's probably having a league average season in the PCL, so maybe with the ball, with the, with the MLB ball being used down there, maybe his numbers aren't quite as impressive as we want them to be. But he certainly deserved the promotion. Um, but yeah, but I don't know where I got back there. But to answer your question, not to go all politician on you here, to answer your question, I think Ryan O'Hearn would be the guy, um, the second half of this year that I would really like to see get back up here, get at bats, because he was another guy. You mentioned Mondesi finishing out last year strong. I mean. You know, O'Hearn came up for what 150 at bats or whatever it was last year, and just tore the cover off the baseball. 
Um, you know, so I, I would like to see what he can do to finish out this year. He's probably going to get one more look next year because the Royals don't really have too many, um, you know, first base type options at, at the, knocking on the door. I guess they could always move over Dozier to first if they wanted to give Gutierrez a look or who knows the free agency market or who knows what else, you know, Gabe Cancel or whoever else comes up and they want to move around the infield. But I, I do think Ryan O'Hearn's a guy that I'm really eyeing the second half of the year. How about you? Uh, for me, you know, I kind of feel like this is the last best chance for guys like Bubba Starling, pr- probably Brett Phillips. Uh, you know, Phillips, this will be his last option year. And, you know, I feel like, you know, and he's hit, he's come on really well in the last couple of weeks for Omaha. You know, I think it's just a matter of time before they get him up. I think they need to clear a roster spot for him. And that, you know, it may happen if they are able to trade Billy Hamilton. But, yeah, Phillips and Starling, because, you know, there's not a lot of, um, you know, the outfield situation is pretty fluid right now for next year. I mean, we don't know if Alex Gordon's going to be back next year. Billy Hamilton will probably not be back next year. Uh, Whit Merrifield, we don't know what he's going to, you know, if he's going to be in right field. Is he going to be at second base? Is he going to be with another organization? Uh, we don't know. So there are some openings there, but I feel like the Royals, you know, they probably need to make a decision on what the future is for some of these guys like Starling and Bonifacio and, and Phillips. And so Phillips is a guy I think, I'm probably highest on of those three just because he does have really great defense. I think he's got enough power to hit, you know, 15, maybe 20 home runs a year, decent on base skills. Um, so I think he could be an asset out there, but he's really got to keep down, cut down on the strikeouts. Uh, but I'd like to see him get a chance over the you know the last two or three months, see what he can do at the big league level, because I think he's kind of proven all he can prove at AAA. So he's kind of the guy I'm keeping an eye out for. But, uh, you know, the, the, there's, there are a lot of reasons, I think, to tune in in the second half of the Royals, um, because I do think they're going to get younger here pretty soon. Uh, and maybe we're starting to see this, the beginning of that by shipping out Homer Bailey and getting Bubba Starling up here. And, and I'm sure there's some more transactions. And I'm sure you'll be talking about them on your podcast, because I know you, you have kind of your opinions on, on the current state of the Royals. Um, remind us again where we can find your podcast and, and, and uh, where we can follow you on Twitter. Absolutely. It's Clubhouse Conversation. Um, just with an N, clubhouseconversation.com, um, at Royals Clubhouse on Twitter. And, um, you know, it's always nice talking Royals with you. I'm a big fan of what you do. I'm definitely going to pick up um, the book and excited to read uh, your chapter on there, Max. And I uh, appreciate you having me on and uh, look forward to hearing Sean and, and the second half here. Yeah, and, and, and definitely give him a follow on, on Twitter as well. And, uh, Dave, thanks, thank you so much for being on the show. We'll have to have you on again maybe to talk about uh, how that second half went, how the trade deadline went, because I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping you're right. I'm hoping they do make a couple of deals there because they need to uh, definitely have an infusion of minor league talent. But, th- Dave, thank you so much for being on the show today. Of course, man. Take care. Thanks again. Cool. Well, when we come back, we'll have Sean and Matthew on to get their thoughts on the Homer Bailey trade right after this. We're back, and joining me now is Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you doing tonight? Well, about as good as anybody can do, uh, for the most part, without being like an uber rich billionaire or something. So, <laughs> I thought you were a rich class, billionaire. I thought you've been holding out on us. So, uh. no, I yeah, uh, I just do this for fun. I just <laughs> I just whine about and complain about stuff, just you know, because I am. Also joining us is Matthew Lamar. Matthew, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. Like Sean, I am not a billionaire, but I'm still doing good. That's what life's life's about <laughs> well i guess you guys all we don't have to worry about you guys putting a bit on the royals anytime soon <laughs> we all uh, have something in common yeah well trade season is upon us with the royals and the july 31st trade deadline is just two weeks away the royals got a head start on that by uh orchestrating a trade over the weekend they acquire uh kevin merrill an infielder from the oakland athletics in return they give up pitcher homer bailey Bailey had signed with the Royals on a minor league deal in spring training uh, before right before spring training, uh, and so they turn off you know a flyer on a guy, a veteran that didn't hadn't really pitched well the last couple of years, and turn into the 23 year old middle infielder from the Oakland Athletics organization. Uh, Merrill was a 2017 draft pick uh, for out of the first round out of uh, University of South Florida. He's known for his speed, but has struggled a bit with the bat. And this year was hitting just 246 with a 292 on base percentage and 339 slug in Double A for the Athletics organization. Sean, what's kind of your 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 initial reaction to this trade uh, for Kevin Mer- Merrill? Um, I mean, I think we had a lot of discussion this on the site, um, kind of over the past I don't know, call it 24 hours. Um, there's a bit of a there's a 
you know, you weren't going to expect a lot for Homer Bailey. And just the way that I thought about it was that, was that, yeah, I mean, you weren't expecting to get AJ Puck or something. Um, but I do think, I do think there's a difference between getting AJ Puck and getting, you know, nobody. Um, and I didn't love the return as far as like the player they got. I mean, I knew they were only going to get a 40 or 35 future value player, but they kind of got a guy that seems kind of ubiquitous for the most part. Uh, super fast. Can't really play defense that well. Um, they might move him to center field. Um, hasn't hit that well uh, for the past year-ish or two. So, I don't know. I mean, I wasn't expecting to get, you know, a world leader, but I would have, liked got something that was a little more interesting than just a fast guy that hasn't hit very well. You know what I mean? Uh, you, and you kind of compared it to the Andrew Kashner deal, which I think was just the day before. Yeah. Orioles sending Andrew Kashner, right-hander, uh, who his numbers, his ERA at least, was a little bit better, but I think – other than that, his peripherals, I think, were fairly similar. And Kashner had the disadvantage of, of having a pretty substantial salary this year of like $9 million for the whole year while Bailey was making the league minimum, which I think made him more attractive to smaller market teams like the Royals. And Kashner was dealt to the Red Sox for like a pair of 17-year-old uh, prospects a long way away from the big leagues. But, you know, com- kind of comparing, contrasting both deals, what was kind of your take on how that trade market really, really set up over the weekend? Yeah, um, I like the Kashner one just because, like, not that I – there's nothing written in, you know, in, in the clouds that are going to say that those two 17-year-old prospects that the Red Sox uh, gave up to get Kashner are going to be any better prospects than what Merrill is. Um, if anything, obviously Merrill's further along. He's, you know, already reached double AA, um, where those guys are still in rookie ball. So, I mean, it, it's not as if, like – you're getting anything considerably better, but I just like the kind of idea of the younger guys that, uh, and not that we know what Merrill is going to be necessarily, but I think at least we've seen him produce in double a, or, you know, we've seen him play, call it 600 or so plate appearances between high a and double a, and he, he's hit fairly poorly. Um, and so it's kind of like, well, we kind of have an idea of what that is, but with those 17 year olds, we don't have a great necessarily idea of what they are. Um, they were at least kind of, uh, you know, thought of having some upside. And, and so when when you see Kashner get that, who, like he said, was a little bit more expensive, um, but I don't know. Uh, it, like I said, with Kashner or B- Bailey, you know, nobody was going to consider getting really, really good players. But there's different types of profiles you can get back that equal about the exact same overall value, if that makes sense. And, and Matthew, it seems like Merrill really checks a lot of boxes for the Royals that they usually like in an acquiring player. I mean, he's got 80 grade speed i mean obviously they're they're really kind of doubling down on the speed aspect in their organization uh he seems like a heady ball player a guy that kind of you know has good self-awareness on the field he plays a, a premium position up the middle at shortstop although there may be some concerns that he can't stick there but he should be able to play second base or center field uh, i guess and he's also i guess fairly uh, close to MLB ready, and that seems like that's been kind of a, a common theme in a lot of their trades. They want a player that's maybe more of a finished product. I mean, uh, you know, does it does it surprise you at all that they kind of acquired this kind of player for Bailey? No, and you know, I think the the overall trade return was pretty good. If you think about it, um, actually, beforehand, let me let me read you some numbers here from between 2015 to 2018. Our good old friend Homer Bailey uh, was giving up a lot of those those homers um he pitched in 46 games over a four-year stretch mind you um with a 6.25 era which is good 31 percent below league average over that time period um he was giving up almost 12 hits per nine innings it was it was not great he wasn't striking a lot of people you know he looked done basically and that's why the royals were able to pick him up uh for the you know, the league minimum. Now the Cincinnati Reds were paying the rest of his very large salary, but the Royals just picked him up for, for nothing. They didn't get anything from him, uh, you know, because of he, he was so bad over the last four years. You know, this was kind of a thing that, and even we were earlier this year saying, well, maybe it's just time to move on from Homer Bailey. He was doing really, really poorly for a stretch there. Uh, but, you know, he turned it around, and this is – you know, a, a situation where the Royals got something literally from nothing. And uh, the Homer Bailey types of flyers are exactly what the Royals should be doing, um, is giving, you know, league minimum or minor league deals to guys that they can flip at the deadline. As far as Kevin Merrill himself, um, I think it's, a uh, you know, considering the return that you're going to get for Homer Bailey, which is not a lot, um, I think it's a decent 
move. I mean, you think about it, right? So the Royals traded for someone with unteachable athletic skill, uh, that being speed. Um, and then they're hoping that the rest of his game can sort of um, come along with that. Um, and that's, you know, there are certainly worse approaches, you know, for, for a guy with that overall, you know, value profile. You could get someone who's less interesting, you know, um, maybe a fringe pitcher who might not turn out to be a starter. I, I think it's a, it's as good of an approach as anything. And considering how little value, literally none, uh, that Homer Bailey had before this season, you know, it's uh, the Royals kind of did a magic trick here. But on the same side, you know, Kevin Merrill's not a, not a huge, hugely um, interesting or particularly good prospect. He's decent. He's okay. Um, you need guys like him in your system. Yeah, and I also wonder too, like if you know the, the deal came together rather quickly on Sunday, where you know I guess the A's said that they reached out to the Royals uh, and said uh, and they were interested in Homer Bailey, and then uh, the Royals were able to kind of quickly come together on a deal, and and, and Bailey was scratched from a start that day. And, you know, it happened with still with two weeks to go before the trade deadline. It makes me wonder a little bit if the Royals felt like they had to kind of jump on an offer that was decent uh, before Bailey turned back into a pumpkin. Because he looked pretty good over his last six starts. Uh, he, had a, he had given up just 11 runs over his last 35 innings for a 2.83 ERA over his last six starts. Uh, so that's pretty good. But, you know, how sustainable is that? I don't know. I don't have a whole lot of trust that Homer Bailey would have been good for the next two weeks. And so maybe... Uh, you know, and also knowing he's kind of an injury risk, you know, he's had some injuries in his, hi- his history. He's on the wrong side of 30. So maybe, you know, the Royals are like, as soon as we get a decent offer, we're going to jump on it because we're not going to we're not going to wait around and, and have Bailey turn back into uh, the old Homer Bailey. So uh, that's perhaps our consideration. And I think, you know, what you said, Matthew, about um, Bailey, you know, the Royals pretty much getting something for nothing. I think. I think that is very true, and I think it's great that the Royals got kind of something for nothing. And they, you're right that, that they should be getting taking flyers on some of these guys. And sometimes it works out with Hammer Bailey, and you're able to flip him for a decent prospect. Sometimes it doesn't. I think this is what they were hoping would happen with Brad Boxberger, and he just kind of you know, you know, crapped the bed this year and didn't really pan out. Uh, and sometimes that'll happen, but you're not out a lot of money, so that's worth the flyer. Um, at the same time, though, you know, I think and I think Sean, you kind of made this this point a little bit. We shouldn't let the fact that Bailey, we got Bailey for nothing, color our evaluation of the deal, and so it doesn't make it necessarily a good deal just to get him, you know, get any player for Bailey because of what he was three months ago. Because Bailey is a different value now; he is a certain value now, and and so we have to evaluate: did the Royals get good value for what Homer Bailey is now? And I think I think they probably did, but I but I think Sean, you were arguing on Twitter maybe that that they should have been going. For you know a little bit higher value as far as the younger the younger prospects, and also you know with Merrill, you know there are a lot of questions about his bat. What what do you see as kind of his his upside as far as what he can become as a big leaguer? I mean, I comped him realistically as like some sort of a fifth, fourth or fifth infielder, um, the like um, uh, Umberto Ortiaga types, um, or oh god, whatever his dang name was. Um, that I'll think about. It. I'll think of it a second. The middle, the tiny middle infielder that was just up here a year or two ago, and I'm totally blanking Ramon on his name. Torres. Ramon Torres, yes, um, kind of that type. And it's like, kind of tarping back on like that, you know, getting anything from nothing. But it's like, you know, I wouldn't have traded him for Christian Cologne. Uh, you know, if if that was the trade, and not that you know Merrill is Christian Cologne, but the idea that anything is better than nothing, I don't think that's fair. Um, given that you, you know you wouldn't take someone like uh, like Christian Cologne, or um, you know would anybody take random twenty nine year old pitcher in the minors? Um, so I think there is some value to it. But yeah, I think Merrill kind of it's that idea of you know he he's not he wasn't a great defender at second base even to South Florida. So they're talking about moving him to possibly center field. Um, you know, same thing Billy Hamilton went through. Uh, very comparable kind of profiles, really, with Hamilton um, and um, and Merrill. And you know, Hamilton lived in an age of where I think prospects were weren't rated necessarily correctly. Um, it's kind of weird to still say that today. Uh, not that I think prospects are perfectly rated now and they figured everything out, but uh, I think Hamilton did, did live in a world where prospects were rated differently. And I'm not sure if Hamilton is necessarily a top 100 prospect today because we saw guys like Roman Quinn. Uh, also being in that same like okay he's really really fast and that's his kind of one skill 
Um, I don't necessarily think that that's what it'd be today, um, but it's similar in the sense that Merrill and Hamilton are both super fast guys with some questions on what they're going to hit. So um, I, I think there's some comparability there, but uh, you know, I still think that Hamilton's faster than basically anybody. Other, I think he and Gore are the two fastest players I've seen, and Buxton. Um, and so I don't know if Merrill's quite that fast, but um, you know, I, I think if you're looking at, yeah, kind of a fourth or fifth infielder type um, is is kind of your real, real realistic, maybe 60 or 70 percent outcome. Uh, but, uh, you know, if he never makes the majors, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised either. Yeah. And to just just sorry, Max, just to clarify here, you know, part of the reason why I'm talking about something from nothing and and you you allude to this, Max, is, you know, I'm not so sure that Homer Bailey is going to be a good pitcher you know, two starts from now. I think his overall value is very, very, very volatile. Um, And frankly, it's surprising a little bit to me that the Royals were able to get someone, um, you know, like Merrill um, from a pitcher like Bailey who had been so bad for so long that the Reds cut him loose with $23 million on his, um, you know, on his contract. It's, it's, I don't think that Homer Bailey has a lot of intrinsic value. So that's really what I mean by getting something from nothing. Yeah. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm down on the trade because I actually think it's a pretty good trade. I, you know, Merrill seems to be ranked as a top 20 prospect by, you know, baseball America and MLB pipeline uh, and fan graphs. Uh, I think maybe fringe top 20, which, you know, moving him into the Royals organization. Uh, and I know the guys over at Royals farm report disagree putting him in the top 20 in our organization. But, uh, you know, you got a player that at least some people think could be in the top 15 or 20 in our organization. Um, yes, he has a lot of question marks about his bat. Um, he's also in his, what, uh, first full pro season. Um, so, or I guess second, this would be a second full pro season. So he may still have some room to, to develop. And I think when you get, you know, you have a chance to, to acquire a player that does have 80 grade in something. And I know speed is probably the, the least valuable right now. Uh, skill to have, but at least he's 80 grade in something. Um, you know, he's a chance. You know, moving into center field might be uh, might open up some more value for him, especially if he does develop into a good defender. And you know, you talk about Billy Hamilton. Uh, you know, he was a two win wins above replacement player there for a couple of years. And if you can get something close to that for, for you know a cost controlled player uh, around the league minimum, that has a lot of value. And I think if he's and if he, especially if he's able to play multiple positions. I mean, the Royals just paid $3 million for Chris Owings, right? And I know that's not probably not the best example since he, uh, uh, a lot of people disagreed on, 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 on that value for him. But point being, if the Royals can develop a couple guys or acquire a couple guys like this from uh, kind of internally without having to go in the free agent market or, or trades, that, uh, that, that could end up helping the system a little bit, helping the organization overall. So I think overall, a good deal. Um, I, you know, it's, it's amazing that we're able to hear Sitter and talk about getting anything for Homer Bailey, um, but but it was you know he did he did kind of turn his season around and become a pretty good asset, and the Royals uh, were able to flip him for something for the future. So uh, for, so at least in my mind, that's a that's a that's a thumbs up. Uh, the the player that will get the most attention, I think, at the trade deadline this year is Whit Merrifield, and you know the Royals have made it, I think, pretty clear they they won't trade Whit Merrifield unless they get what they perceive to be a huge offer. I think Dayton Moore. Even even told reporters that he you know it would have to be a crazy ask, uh, but there was a report this week from Bruce Levine at 670 the score in Chicago, uh, and he's talking you know Whit Merrifield would be a great fit for the Cubs. They really need a leadoff hitter. They've had a lot of problems at second base. Ben Zobra Ben Zobrist has gone from the team for an extended period of time with, with personal issues. So you know he's talking about whether or not the Cubs would acquire Merrifield. But he said that any conversation about Whit Merrifield is a non-starter unless the Royals receive three MLB-ready players who could help them right now. And there are a lot of ways to interpret that. I, I, I guess, Sean, the way a lot of people, I think a lot of fans interpreted that is is they looked at the MLB-ready part of that statement and said, oh no, the Royals are going to compromise a, a player with maybe more upside in order to get someone who's MLB-ready. Is that kind of the way you read that? Um, I think that's the common way to interpret it um, because I think they've just been flavored by uh, like Brett when they traded Bustakis for like Brett Phillips and um, uh, Jorge Lopez or like the Blake Perkins, Kelvin Herrera trade. Um, but I mean, 
you know, MLB ready is only one part of a player profile, right? Um, because if it's Gavin Lux for the Dodgers, well, he's MLB ready, and he's also happens to be like a top five prospect. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we would all take that. Um, but I do think that when we hear something of that nature come out of Moore's, you know, mouth, he's referring to. Um, I don't know if Kevin Merrill's obviously not the word I'm looking for, but a guy that's, you know, uh, God, I can't think of a good example, but a Jorge Lopez kind of type or Brett Phillips kind of type, obviously a little better than that, but a guy who's already been in double A or triple A, maybe even played in the majors a little bit. Um, Jorge Mateo might be a good idea. Uh, he's an 80 runner or maybe 70 runner, um, has played a little bit in the MLB. Uh, Clint Frazier might be another one, um, a guy who's played in the MLB, but is also hit well in double A and triple A is 23, you know, kind of has tools that they might like. So I think when they read that, I think that's really kind of more what we expect them to be looking for. Yeah. That, that's kind of the point I was just making this, you know, when, when you talk about trade rumor season, it's kind of like a big game of telephone where, you know, Bruce Levine has the sources, I'm sure with the Cubs front office and someone may have told him, yeah, they're looking for MLB ready players. And that may that could mean the Jorge Lopez's of the world, the 25-year-olds who are out of options and uh, don't have a whole lot of upside. But it can also mean, like the like you said, the Gavin Luxes, uh, the Brendan McKays, you know, the guys that are on the verge of being uh, big leaguers, but are also super high, highly thought of prospects, top 20 prospects in baseball, and and, and maybe that's what the Royals are asking for as well. Uh, so I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say you know be down on the Royals because they're asking for MLB ready players. Uh, but like you said, because of their history, because of the not just the Mike Mustakas deal, but um, you know, also thinking back to uh, some of the other past deals, like the you know the Wade Davis deal with for Jorge Soler, they got an MLB, they insisted on an MLB ready player in that deal, and you know Soler didn't really pan out for a couple of years. He's hitting a lot better this year, but even now it's still kind of a question mark on whether or not he'll be part of the future because he'll be eligible for free agency by you know by the perhaps by the time the Royals are good again. So. You know, Matthew, what should the Royals be looking for in a trade for Whit Merrifield, and and how aggressively do you think they are they are shopping him at the deadline? Well, I don't think they're shopping him actively. I think sort of the thing that fans, uh, you know, myself included, need to sort of think about is the Royals don't need to trade Whit Merrifield right now. Um, they can get probably a very very similar if not you know exactly the same maybe even more um, because more teams would be interested in him in this offseason or next you know trade deadline I think those two two points I think after that maybe his value starts to go down a little bit but I don't think that you're going to be seeing a lot different kinds of offers this offseason um, this trade deadline or next trade deadline. I think the offers are going to be pretty similar um, because Whit Merrifield's cheap and he's good and he's under control for years. And next year it's, you know, if you're getting half a year of him, at least that's, that's going to be the case still um, moving forward for the team that would trade for him. Uh, I think really what the Royals should do is they should be um, getting for, or they should be going for the type of players that, um, where their talent is concentrated right now. So if you look at that, that's um, about high A um, right now. So the Wilmington Blue Rocks um, are really, really, really good right now. Um, and a couple of uh, prospects have already headed to A Northwest Arkansas. Um, and we'll see more of those probably as the year go- goes on, um, especially with people like Jonathan Bolin, who tossed a no-hitter tonight for Wilmington, uh, the team is 57 and 37, which is quite good. Uh, Bolin has a 1.59 ERA and a very ridiculous strikeout to walk rate. So guys like him are going to be moving up to Northwest Arkansas. You know, I think that's what the Royals should be targeting. Is kind of like what happened the last time around, where they had a wave of guys who all hit in 2011, mostly a couple of them 2010 and a couple in 2012. You know. It, to, to get a wave like that, I think, is the Royals' best chance. So that's what they should be going for is really high high ceiling guys in um, high A-ish, uh, maybe double A. Um, and that's what they should be going for. Um, and, you know, maybe next year after the Royals are a year closer, Dayton Moore would be more uh, comfortable with trading for a guy that is quote, end quote, major league ready, who might be in double A, maybe need some more seasoning in, in triple A. So I think 
you know, the Royals don't need to trade Whit Merrifield now. And I also don't think that this one single uh, article with um, two words that describe their uh, their intention on receiving three MLB-ready players as sources said. Like, that's all the, the detail that that article has. So, you know, I, I don't really think that this article means much of a whole lot. Um, and I also don't really think that the Royals are looking to trade Merrifield right now. But, you know, I... I I, they would be they would be dumb to not be you know thinking about what kind of returns they could get um, and you know maybe they're just posturing now for for future returns. There's there's a lot of variables right now. Yeah, you know, it's probably not worth getting too upset about until there's actually a deal done if a deal gets done at all. So you know I think probably we should say, save our outrage for the actual trades and then rather than the kind of perceived uh, trade offers that are out there. You know. Sean, it's, it seems like the Cubs would be a really good fit as far as them needing Whit Merrifield, but you know their their farm system is pretty depleted right now. They don't really have the high end talent. I don't think the MLB ready players they have right now would be much interest to the Royals. Guys like Ian Happ and Addison Russell, uh, you know Albert Azale, um certainly doesn't seem to be enough there to to make a deal happen. And you know I also wonder like what what have you noticed with the trend of how trades are getting made and the prospects being given up. Do you expect a kind of offer like that for a guy like Whit Merrifield? Because it seems like uh, it's, it's only pitchers maybe that are that are kind of netting these high prospect deals. Or am I wrong? Are there other examples of like hitters uh, also kind of you know getting uh, inducing these you know top prospect uh, trade offers? Hmm, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Um, I mean. We keep hearing about how teams are more interested in keeping their prospects than ever. I mean, ten years ago, you know, any they teams would have coughed up any guy just to get you know a, a guy like Merrifield back. So I think we keep seeing that where teams are much more conscious of keeping them. Um, the Cubs, to their credit, I know their system's a little bit weaker, but they do have um, a couple guys with like uh, Nico Horner uh, and Miguel Amaya, and then uh, Aramis Adaman. Um, those are three guys. Two of them are at least top, you call it top 60-ish. And then uh, Adamant's like a fringe top 100 guy. Uh, I think Van Graaff said him at 105. Uh, and so they do have some guys that are at least in that top 100 conversation, too solidly in. Um, you know, Nico Horner is a college guy. Uh, he plays second base. Amaya plays catcher. Uh, Adamant plays shortstop. So you've got three guys that are all up the middle. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I mean, the Cubs don't necessarily have – great, you know, slam dunk Gavin Lux players, but I do think there is something that could at least get it done. Um, but but I don't think necessarily that, you know, we should just buy full sale this argument or this, you know, like you said, the one sentence in there necessarily, um, that it, it's bound to happen. Um, you know, you mentioned those players kind of playing up the middle, but the Royals I think if you were to say they had maybe a strength like catcher, they seem to be fairly deep. Uh, shortstop, you know, certainly they're covered, I think, for the next couple of years with the Montessi. Uh, you know, Nicky Lopez, I think they, they want to give him a chance at second base. You just drafted Bobby Witt Jr. Does that play a consideration what you expect in a trade? Or you just, uh, you know, no. are trades like the draft where you just get the best player available? Yeah, I think you just get the best player, really. I mean, unless it's unless you're talking about, unless, like, you're the um, the Dodgers, or I, I think, uh, or you're the, or if you're the, the Braves, I think, um, you're not going to go acquire maybe necessarily, uh, you know, some star outfield prospect um, when you've got you're tr- you're having a hard time finding playing time for guys that are already in your outfield, and you've got a bunch of outfielders lined up behind them as well. So um, no, I don't think that's a consideration necessarily. I mean, if some team came along and offered Bobby Witt Jr. or you know, let's say the Padres came and and, and offered um, uh, C.J. Abrams. For Merrifield, I mean, there's no reason they should take that, um, you know, even though they've already got Mondesi and a couple other guys lined up there necessarily. Well, speaking of prospects, uh, let's turn our attention to, I guess, a guy that was once one of the highly, most highly thought of prospects in baseball. His star kind of fell, and that's Bubba Starling, and yet he's kind of redeemed himself this year with a solid first half of the season. He was a, a Pacific Coast League All-Star this year at AAA and was called up last week to make his Major League debut. Uh, Matthew, what was kind of your your thoughts on Bubba Starling's debut, and what what do you kind of expect from him uh, going forward? Man, it was just a lot of fun. You know, uh, 
I watched these, you know, pretty much the entirety of all three games this weekend, and that's uh, I I haven't done that since April, probably. You know, I've I've watched games obviously, but not like three in a row. Uh, you know the. It's it's just a great personal story for Bubba, who you know it took eight years for him through all these struggles, and he's finally here. You know, if you think of sports as sort of an avenue for storytelling, um, you, you know that's that's one of the better stories I think in in the baseball uh, universe this this season. Not just the Royals universe, you know, local kid uh, who grew up thirty five miles away from the stadium gets to gets to play in the with the team that that he's rooted for all his life that's 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 just great and the other factor is you know there's no guarantee that Bubba Starling would have would have even made it you know when he was in uh, when he made his first trip to to AAA in 2016 2016 his uh, WRC plus was 21 so that was almost 80% worse than league average and the next year he was 24% worse than league average you know there's there's no guarantee that he'd he'd get up there um you know to the major leagues uh, at all and here he is so it's it's kind of uh surreal i think you know watching him bat was just so very weird because i've i've you know, hoped for him and for the Royals that he would come up and succeed for literally, you know, half a decade now. Um, as for, you know, his prof- profile going forward, I think there's a lot of different um, ways and outcomes that could happen. Uh, so I could very well see a, a future where Bob Starling is really great defender. Uh, he's a really great base runner. He steals, you know, an okay amount of bases, but he's really smart and, and fast on the base base paths. Um, I think he scored from first on a on a double the other the other day. So that was, you know, nice to see that kind of things um, that that he that he does or that he can do with his legs. Um, and he follows that up with hitting. That's you know that's okay. And then suddenly he becomes you know sort of a league average play out of nowhere and that's just really super nice to have um maybe even a little better than league average if he can maintain like good defense good base running with an average bat uh, but i would also not be surprised at all if he just wasn't any good and he's he, his bat just was chris owings level and he just couldn't couldn't handle major league pitching i could see that too um we'll have to watch and see what what happens you know um, obviously, he got his first hit and his first walk um, this weekend. But judging a player on three games is just a recipe for for badness and small sample size alert to the extreme. Um, so we'll have to wait and see. But it's certainly it's certainly way 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 more interesting than watching you know Billy Hamilton uh, play center field because we all know what Billy Hamilton does he's been doing it for years um and he's not that great anymore so i guess really to wrap it up the question is is bubba starling going to be the this year's version of billy hamilton or is he going to be like the 15 to 17 version of billy hamilton um we we just don't know and that's part of the fun in Omaha, he was hitting 310 with a 358 on base percentage and 448 slug seven home runs in 72 games and sean you've kind of mentioned how you know those numbers much better than anything he's put up in a season before, but we also have to put him in the context of you know the numbers at AAA being up, and we kind of talked about that a little bit last week. So what what do you kind of expect from him going forward? And he's 26 years old. He's a guy that doesn't have a great track record in the minors, but we know he has some tools. So what are you kind of looking for him? Yeah, um, I don't know. Just playing every day, really. Um, there isn't necessarily like. I don't know how you necessarily measure success for him because you I mean you're not expecting him to you're not expecting him to like you know come and hit 300 like he did in AAA and you know destroy bombs and stuff. Um, so I think just playing every day is really what matters. Um, I don't know if anybody's expecting him, like I said, to be a future major leaguer, but him not being injured is going to be one thing. Um, him getting an opportunity to play every day is going to be huge too. Um, and you know. I'd like to at least see some highlight reel defenses from him because I think that's one thing he's for sure going to bring is good defense. Of course, Saturday and Sunday's game, uh, notwithstanding where he, I think he missed a couple of balls, uh, but I don't expect that necessarily going forward. So I'm not looking for any offense or anything really from him. I'm just happy to see him in the major leagues. I think that's good enough. I, th- I think that's at this point the best we can all expect really. 
Yeah, I think of nothing more. It's just kind of a feel-good story. I mean, 4,000 people walked up and bought tickets on Friday night to see him watch his, uh, make his Major League debut. So it's obviously a story that the Royals fans are excited to see. That standing ovation he got was really nice, a really nice moment for him. And, you know, good for him for persevering. And You know, he could have given up several times along the way and gone and played college football at Nebraska. But he stuck with it, and he finally got to the big leagues. And no matter what happens from, from here going on forward, he can always say he got to the show. He got to be a big leaguer at least for for a little while. And, uh, you know, hopefully he sticks, for, to the, sticks with the Royals for a while, and we can see him have a nice little career here as a local kid that, that did well. But uh, we'll be keeping our eye on him and seeing if he can be a part of this future. Uh, just kind of wrapping things up, I, Matthew mentioned this a little bit earlier, but Jonathan Boland did toss a no-hitter night for the Wilmington Blue Rocks. Pretty interesting player. I think he was a second-round pick for the Royals in that 2018 draft class in which they took a bunch of college pitchers. Taken out of the University of Memphis. He does have a, you know, as Matthew said, a 1.59 ERA this year with Wilmington. Um, this year overall, uh, going into that no-hitter, at least he had 103 strikeouts, just 12 walks between Lexington and Wilmington. Sean, what's your what's your kind of your impression on Bolin? I mean, he's a guy that I kind of liked at the draft just because he's a big-bodied guy, and I was like big-bodied yeah. guy, but... I guess realistically, what? How do you kind of profile him going forward? Um, I know that he. Uh, so Fangraphs, I think they had him at twenty-first um, or twentieth in the org. Um, he's dominated Double A, or excuse me, he dominated uh, a High A, and obviously tonight as well continued that. Was he? Am I wrong? Was didn't he have terrible stats at Memphis? I think he had okay's okayish stats, okay. not, not eye popping, but he had like a couple. He had like an eighteen strikeout game against South Florida or something like that. Okay, like, I think his his knock was that he was a little inconsistent. No, I was thinking I forget who it was that just had awful stats. That, I think you're thinking of Zach. Uh, is it hockey? Uh, Zach. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Yeah, he uh, had an ERA around nine or something. Right, like that. right. I don't know why I was thinking that, uh, but yeah, I mean, Bolin, you know, uh, his his dad threw a no hitter at Memphis. I do know that. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, Fangraphs kind of had him in the back there. Um, it was that, like you said, kind of inconsistencies a lot. Um, kind of two fringe secondary pitches and then an okay fastball. But I mean, he's beaten up high A pitching pretty well. Um, if there's one thing that I think we've learned as Royals fans and, you know, Royals prospect watchers um, is that stats and anything below double A kind of don't matter for the pitchers um, because we've seen them come up. We, you know, we saw it a bit with Brady Singer this year where he dominated in uh, high A and then he's kind of got run over a bit in double A. Um, and then, you know, but Coar's done very well since he's been promoted double A. But we saw with Montgomery and Duffield and Lamb and Dwyer and Foster Griffin, I think even had a good uh, season in Lexington, or excuse me, in Wilmington, then came up to double A and got beat a bit, um, then went back to double A and got beat up even more. Um, and so I, I don't know what you make of kind of guys, the the college guys just yet, double A I think is really going to come out, but um, you know, to his credit, to Boland, to Singer, to Coar's credit, uh, Bubik's credit, they've all done very, very well in high A, um, which, you know, that's what you're hoping out of your college guys, you know, facing um, a lot of kind of teenager types. And he threw the uh, second no-hitter in Blue Rocks history. You, you, uh, you tell us who the first one was? Ryan Sanchez, who I know Max uh, threw it in 2000, uh, and I know Max has probably had Sanchez's card. Uh, <laughs> On the wall. I'm pretty you know sure, yeah, I'm pretty sure I was on the Royal Board message boards, you know, writing about Brian Sanchez back in the... Were you in college in the, at that time? 2000? Yeah, I was in college uh, in, in, when he was in, uh, in, in Wilmington. Uh, Brian Sanchez never pitched an inning for the Royals, but did have a nice seven-year career as a major league reliever with the Phillies, Nationals, and Marlins. Made 195 uh, appearances, all but two of them in relief. So... Carved out a nice career for himself, and I don't yeah. know if, if Boland's able to do that, then, man, that'd be yeah. a pretty impressive career. So, uh, so yeah, I, I, I'm kind of rooting for him because I, like I like the large adult sons on the mound, the, the big guys that, that uh, can throw a little bit. So uh, I'm rooting for Jonathan Boland, and congratulations to him tonight for tossing that no-hitter for the Wilmington yeah. Blue Rocks. So. He's listed at six foot six, two sixty two. He's a big boy. <laughs> hey, I like it. You know, I, 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 I always love that Jonathan Broxton – uh, uniform yeah. photo where Everett Tiford and Tim Collins uh, each have a, a their whole body in one of his uh, pant legs. Uh, that's one of my favorite photos. <laughs> so anyway, that'll do it for our show tonight. Uh, once again, a big shout out to Davo from Clubhouse Conversation for being our guest. And thanks to Sean Newkirk and Matthew Lamar for being on the show today. And thank you readers and listeners for visiting our site. We'll talk to you next time.